Tragedy just follows that family. They're plagued by it. Does tragedy follow a family or a person? Or do people make their own tragedy? This is a question that I'd like you to think about as we dive into this case today. Also think about what happens when women's choices are taken away from them. Hi, Curious Listener. I'm Michelle O'Dell. Welcome back to Corn Fed Killer. Today we're going in the way back machine, all the way back to the 1880s and 1890s in small town Delphi, Indiana. We are going to be talking about the Mabbitt family. The Mabbitt family is a curious one, so buckle your seatbelts. This is going to be quite a ride. We are starting in August of 1886 with the disappearance of Luella Mabbitt. Luella was a young woman. I believe she was either in her late teens or early 20s. I'm not exactly sure. There were so many different accounts of her age. In any event, she's young, and she's being courted by a man named Amor Green. Her father did not approve of the match, and he insisted that Luella break it off with Green. So, she did. She wrote him a letter you know, as one did in 1886. It wasn't like, you know, she could text him. <laughs> so she wrote old green letter and broke it off. Um, you probably know at this time, women were not generally given choices as far as whom they dated or whom they married. And it would not have been an uncommon thing at all for a young woman to break off a courtship because her father wanted her to. That was done all the time, especially in wealthier, well-to-do families like the Mabbitt family at this time. So Green gets this letter, and his sweetheart says, you know, it's over. But old Amar, he was not having it. And one night, he shows up at Luella's house. The night that he shows up, Luella's twin sister and her beau, William Walker, are outside talking. The twin sister, Ella, says to Green, oh, you know, my sister Luella's sleeping. You might as well go on home. And Green became angry. And he threatened that if she didn't come down, he would tear the house apart. So he's just kind of going nuts. He's angry. He's yelling. So Luella does come down. And she talks with him a little while. And then the two of them decide they're going to take a walk together. At this point, William Walker left and Ella went back upstairs. Nobody thought anything of it. You know, taking a walk with your sweetheart was, you know, pretty common. <laughs> so everyone kind of went on until Luella does not come back. She does not come back that night. Now, this was something that was immediately alarming to the family because young girls didn't do that. They didn't stay out all night. Particularly, like I said, young girls who were part of a well-off, well-to-do family. Now, the Mabbitts were a long-established farming family in the area. This area they lived in was just south of Delphi, What we, what is Delphi, Indiana now, on the banks of Wildcat Creek. Wildcat Creek is a tributary of the Wabash River. The, the Mabbitts 
had three daughters, the two twins, Luella and Ella, and a younger daughter, Minnie. All of the daughters were beautiful, popular, smart, and the community rallied when Luella went missing. They were sad by her, saddened by her disappearance, not to mention frightened and angry. A lynch mob forms one day. Um, most people in the town, including the Mabbits, believe that Amor Green had done something to her. So one night, this mob forms, and it's a group of dudes, and they decide that they're going to find him. They're going to find Amor Green and figure out what the hell happened to Luella. So they go to the Green home, but Amor's not there, and his mother says that she doesn't know where he is. The mob doesn't believe her, and they actually tie a rope around this old lady's head, around her this old lady's neck, and they threaten to hang her if they don't tell them where Amor is. She didn't tell them. And thankfully, this mob decided not to hang her. Because, you know, I guess even an angry mob doesn't want to lynch an old lady. So anyway, they do. she does get arrested, though. The, the police actually arrest her. And they do also arrest poor William Walker, Ella the twin sister, remember, her beau. Because he had been at the house that night. And he was, you know, one of the last people to see Luella Mabbitt before her disappearance. So they arrest him and they arrest poor Mrs. Green. So Mrs. Green, now talk about tragedy following someone or, you know, a dark cloud over a family. Is that true of the Greens? Well, you decide. So... She's in jail. Her son, Amar, is suspected of murder, and nobody knows where he is. Her other son, William, is a murderer. He murdered a man called Enos Brunsbaugh, and he also fled the state. So she's got two sons, two of them who may be killers. <laughs> One for sure. All right, so they eventually do release her from jail, and she never says where Amor is. She maintains she doesn't know. And I'm, you know, I'm inclined to think that she probably doesn't. Um, after she gets out of jail, she leaves Indiana too. And I'll, uh, who could blame her? I can't blame her for that. Um, so February of 1887, this is six months after Luella's disappearance, a badly decomposed body is found in the Wabash River. Luella's twin, Ella, along with her parents, are shown the body, and they identify it as being that of their daughter, their sister, Luella Mabbitt. They identify the body by noting that the teeth of the body were similar to Ella's. And Ella being the twin, they figure Luella and Ella would have similar teeth. Now, this to me seems a little bit nutty, knowing what we know today, which is that everyone's, even identical twins, teeth are different. But given the ignorance of the time, not knowing about, you know, teeth being individual to each person, I can forgive that. But it seems very, even beyond that to me, now, Listener, you decide what you think. Even beyond that, to me, it seems 
a hasty decision on the part of the parents to say, yes, that's Luella, when the body is badly, badly decomposed. You can't look at it and see that it's Ella. Some report, or Luella, sorry, some reports even say, you know, it barely looked human. So I don't know, you know, was it just a grieving family wanting to have their daughter's body back, wanting to put their minds at ease as far as, you know, wondering what happened to her? Maybe. Maybe it was something else. Keep that little nugget of questioning in the back of your mind. Okay. So in October of that year, 1887, the Pinkerton Detective Agency tracks Amor and William to Texas, where they are apprehended. Buck Stanley, <laughs> now Buck Stanley, that's, you know, either a porno name or a Wild West name. Any, anyway, so Buck Stanley is the arresting officer, and he brings Amor back to Indiana. That same month, on the 22nd, at about midnight, a large group of men stormed the streets of Delphi, intent on getting Amar Green. They make their way to the county jail in Delphi, and after stationing guards at either end of the street, they break down the doors of the sheriff's residence. So the sheriff, of course, wakes up, and you know he hears them beating the doors, he hears the timber cracking, and he comes down to see who the hell is there, and the mob demands that the sheriff provide them with the keys to the jail. He says no. He refuses. Some members of the mob reportedly grab him and spur him along as they make their way inside the jail by taking a sledgehammer to the locks. Then they eventually make their way inside Amar Green's cell by smashing it with the sledgehammer. And reportedly it does take a while, but it finally swings open. Now, Amar Green who is described as a giant of a man, had tried to defend himself against the mob. Some accounts say that he even picked up a pipe, like a med, med a metal or a lead pipe, um, either from the wall or maybe from the bars of the cell. I'm not really sure on that. In any event, he did try to defend himself, but one man, even a, quote, giant of a man, is no match for an armed and angry mob of about 180 to 200 men. They tied Amar up and they forced him into a carriage outside. The mob drove Amar to the Deer Creek Bridge. Upon crossing the bridge, they were met by about 60 other carriages, buggies, wagons, and men on horseback. The mob tried to make him confess to killing Luella. He would not. Amar remained stoic. He didn't cry. He didn't scream. He didn't shout. He did not break down. They took him to Walnut Grove, which, you know, is a grove of walnut trees, uh, where two huge bonfires were already burning. There, the mob asked Elmer, Amor, I, I, I'm not sure. I think it's Amor. I hope I'm saying that right. If Luella was alive, he responded, quote, she is. She's at Fort Worth, Texas, living with Samuel Payne, end quote. 
The mob, nah, they weren't buying it. And Amor knew it. He knew he was going to die that night. He continues on, quote, I hope you're not going to burn me. You have come out to murder me, and you are going to do it. But do it like civilized men, end quote. <laughs> this, to me, it, it kind of tickles me. And I know that sounds weird, but it, it's so, you know, 1886, isn't it? You know, I know you're going to murder me, but men, please do it civilized. <laughs> you know, I could just hear it. Uh, so 1886, right? So, okay, um, the mob of uh, Unlike Me is not impressed by that, and they are crying out for him to burn, to be tortured, to be forced to confess. So they ask him again, if she was alive, why didn't she come home? He says, well, she would have if I had time to send for her. So either he's being a smartass or he's telling the truth. I don't know. So the mob's still not buying it, and one of them queries as to why Luella would not return and relieve her distressed family, her poor mother, her poor, her poor, bleh, pardon me, her poor mother, her poor father. Why wouldn't she let them know she was okay? Amar says, quote, she said she would not come back. She said she would starve or die in the poorhouse rather than come back. We had arranged to go away for a long time before we went. Once, when we went to Kokomo, she wanted to run away, but I had no money, and we could not go. The night we went, Luella had arranged for it. She had taken some of her clothing down to the barn, and she got it when we went away. End quote. Just a note, Kokomo is a town in Indiana, not like the island Kokomo. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, so according to Amor, they had been planning this for a long time, and they had tried it before, but he just didn't have the money for them to go. You might be thinking, well, Luella's family had money, you know, they were a wealthy family, why didn't she just pay for it? Well, we're talking about 1886, that just wasn't done. The man in the relationship took care of everything, right? So they couldn't, couldn't go that night when they went to Kokomo. And Amar says she, she said she's not going to come back. Um, obviously, it sounds really dramatic. She said she'd rather die in the poor house, you know. But, you know, this woman, she, to me, loved this man and would do anything to be able to stay with this man, it seemed like. Uh, she was willing, if Amar Green is telling the truth, willing to forego the life of a wealthy woman. It's kind of sweet, you know, if if that's true. So the crowd not buying it. They're still not buying it. And he explains to the, to the crowd that he didn't do anything to her and she's still alive and that if Sheriff Buck Stanley would have permitted him to explain the night he found him in Fort Worth, Texas, that he would have 
and he could have produced Luella right then and there. And he even tells the mob, ask the sheriff. He didn't let me explain. But, you know, as mobs go, this one is no different, and they're not willing to give up their mission, and they decide to go ahead and exact their revenge for Luella. The crowd calls for Luella's father, and he comes forward. He is in the mob. He is part of this lynch mob. He asks Amar to tell the truth, to tell him what he did to his daughter. Amar says, quote, I loved her better than my own life. And that is the reason I went away with her. I loved her better than you did. And all the time she has been away, I have cared for her. End quote. Whew, that's a doozy. You know, that's a doozy. Um, do you believe, Green? Do you believe that he loved her and he just wanted to take her away? Wanted her to have the choice to be with him? Makes you wonder. William Mabbitt, the father, later denied being there. He denied being part of that mob. But members of the mob, as well as reporters who were there, yeah, there were reporters there. Nobody trying to break up the mob, reporting on it instead. They claimed that not only was he there, but so were his two sons, Oris and Montezuma, who they called Mont. Interesting name. And it is reported that Mont later bragged that he was the one to place the rope around Amor's neck. Well, whether it was old Montezuma or not, we may never know, but someone did. Someone scrambled up a walnut tree, tied a rope, and then placed the other end around Green's neck. A reporter for the local newspaper, who had been hanging back in the crowd, came forward and he asked Green if he was an innocent man. Green replied, yes. The reporter asked him what his last request was. Green said, quote, that you inform my mother, send her my body, and tell her that I desire to be buried by the side of my sister in Ohio, end quote. The reporter asked, Hebron, Ohio? Yes, says Green, and, but then he never was able to finish whatever he wanted to say after the word and, because according to that reporter, quote, here the horses gave a lurch forward, and Amor Green was suspended between earth and sky. When the body fell, the rope seemed to stretch four feet, and it looked as if the victim would touch the ground. The rope was strong, however, and there was at least three feet between the soles of his boots and the ground. He never moved a muscle after the fall. It was thought his neck was broken. As his body swung in space, all was quiet. And in a few minutes, the original crowd quietly dispersed. As we go to press, the body is still hanging, and it will probably not be disturbed until the coroner takes charge of it. Those who witnessed the execution and started home met scores of vehicles making for the grove. The word has gone out, 
and the whole country is aroused. Thousands of people will visit the spot today. End quote. Quite dramatic. Uh, and again, very 1886. But in any event, that's what happened. He hung. And the reporter was correct. Plenty of onlookers saw the body because it did remain there until the coroner took charge of it the next day. A grand jury was convened and more than 100 people were questioned about the activity that night, about the mob who broke down the sheriff's door, who was in the, in the mob, who was part of it, who hung Amer. But no one could name a single person involved in the lynching. Nobody saw a thing. Convenient, yes? So what really happened to Luella? Well, authorities and reporters did follow up on the Samuel Payne angle. Remember, Green told them that she was alive and well in Fort Worth, Texas, living with a man named Samuel Payne. And they'd track him down. They go there. By the time they get there, though, he's gone. The next-door neighbor of Samuel Payne tells investigators that Payne and his wife, whom the neighbor describes as a young woman in her early 20s, whom he thought had a maiden name of Merritt or something like that, Hmm. Could it be Mabbitt? <laughs> the neighbor says the couple told him that they had been married in Indianapolis and then moved to Fort Worth, but he didn't know where they were now. Hmm. Makes you wonder, was Samuel Payne a friend of Green's, posing as the husband of Mabbitt? Luella Mabbitt, in order to keep her safe in Fort Worth until Green and she could get away? Hmm. Makes you wonder. But we'll never know because poor Green was hung. Now, if you want to know my opinion, curious listener, I don't think Green killed her. I don't think that at all. And I don't know if you've made your mind up yet, but keep listening. And I think you'll have a pretty strong opinion either way by the end of this episode. All right, so what about poor old Green? Well, his ghost is said to haunt the Walnut Grove. A school even closed that was near the grove due to several students and teachers reporting seeing his ghost roaming the grounds. Now, William Walker, he was eventually released. They knew he had nothing to do with her disappearance. Let's talk about the brother for a second. He's still in jail at the time. Remember, he was found with Amar, and he tells everyone, Luella is alive, and she's in Texas. Uh, you know, he said, my brother was innocent, and he was, of course, devastated with the lynching of his brother. 
Now, what about the sheriff? Sheriff Buck Stanley was censured for not taking proper precautionary measures to prevent the mob from hanging him, from hanging Amar Green. He, you know, still got to be a lawman, but he was censured at that time. Now, lynching was eventually outlawed in Indiana, but it took a good 10 years or more before it actually became outlawed. So, crazy. Do you think the story's over? Mm, no, not yet. So, the Daily Evening Bulletin out of Maysville, Kentucky, on July 22nd of 1887. So, about a year later, maybe? Um... After the, dis the disappearance, uh, but before Amor was hung, so just a few months before the hanging, reported that two months prior to that, the father of Luella, William Mabbitt, had given a Lafayette dentist permission to examine the teeth of Luella, who had, by this time, already been buried. Presumably, the body had been exhumed and the teeth examined. However, on this day, July 22, 1887, a visit to the vault in which her body was entombed revealed that the head was missing from the body. Mr. Mabbitt claims to have no idea where the head is. Hmm. That's weird. Why would the head be gone? Who would want the head? For what reason? Well, a state dental association meeting happened several weeks prior to that July 22nd discovery of the missing head. And a dentist, a Lafayette dentist, now Lafayette is a town in Indiana. You've probably heard of it because it's where Purdue is, in Purdue's in West Lafayette. At this meeting this conference a dentist reportedly displayed a jawbone that he claimed came from the head of miss mabbitt but the dentists there decided determined that the teeth were those of a person fully 50 years old not in the early 20s or teens as luella had been and not a woman but a man a man. So, maybe that wasn't the body of Luella? Maybe that wasn't her head? Remember, William Mabbitt had given this Lafayette dentist permission to examine the teeth. And this dentist is saying, this is her teeth, but it's determined that these are the teeth of a 50-year-old dude, <laughs> not Luella Mabbitt. Did Mr. Mabbitt know when they identified that body as his daughter that it wasn't her? And what about Mrs. Mabbitt? What did she know? Did she know anything? Hmm. And why is the head now missing? So that no one can prove that that wasn't her body or her teeth? 
I mean, this is, uh, this is nuts. Or was this dentist lying? And not the jawbone that he was given that was said to be Miss Mabbitt's at all? Or is she indeed still alive at this time? And did poor Amor Green indeed die an innocent man? Hmm. Well, a few days after the hanging of Green in October of 1887, a heavily veiled woman is reportedly seen arriving via an eastbound Wabash train. She goes up to the baggage claim room and inquires about her trunk. She says, I checked my trunk when I boarded the train in Fort Worth, Texas, and I'm wondering if it has arrived. At the time she inquired, the trunk had not arrived, and the woman seemingly disappeared after that. Rumors ran rampant. Some people claimed that the woman was indeed Luella, and some even claimed that they had talked to her. Her family, though, denied that their daughter had returned. A few hours later, the trunk did arrive, but the woman never came to claim it, and she was never found. Huh. Was this Luella? And did something bad happen to her this time? Did her family know that she was back and deny it for some reason? Or was this just a coincidence? The trunk did arrive, and it did arrive from Fort Worth. Hmm. But the owner of the trunk never came forward. Now, I could not find any documentation as to if the trunk was opened and if the family ever was able to look at it and, and say if any of the contents were Luella's or not. Um, I did find some literature that said that the trunk was chained and locked and, you know, bound with rope as to keep someone from opening it. But, you know, as we could see from the lynch mob with the sledgehammer opening the jail, somebody could have opened it. Um, I don't know if anyone ever did, but that would be pretty interesting if they had. So, hmm, who knows? So let's go forward a few years, three years to be exact. 1890. Remember the youngest daughter, Minnie? Well, in 1890, Minnie Mae Babbitt is arrested. Along with her two brothers, Oris and Mont, Montezuma, remember he was the one who said that he put the rope around Green's neck. They're arrested, the three of them. What they're arrested for might shock you. They're arrested for the murder of 17-year-old Minnie's newly born infant. Now, 17-year-old Minnie Mae Mabbitt apparently was pregnant by a man named Charles Spilter. 
and she turned to her brothers Oris and Mont for help because Charles didn't want anything to do with her. At least that's how the story goes. So, the trio Oris, Mont, and Minnie Mae go to a hotel in Indianapolis, and Minnie checks in as Mrs. Minnie Jones. And there, she gives birth to a baby girl whom she named Merle. Okay. Marshal Joseph F. Jenkins of West Indy, Indianapolis, acting on a tip from a guy named Hunt, discovers the body of a baby in Eagle Creek. The baby's body was attached to a heavy boot that contained a buggy weight. So, you know, obviously they didn't have cars then, so this was a buggy that would, a weight that would help weigh down a buggy so that it wouldn't, you know, tip and whatnot. So, in court, Coroner Manker of Indiana testified that the baby died of strangulation. No water was found in the baby's lungs, meaning that she was dead before she went into the water. Furthermore, an investigator named Thrust, the arresting officer of Mabbit, identified the weight that was found in the boot to have come from a livery stable where Mount worked. Also, it was reported that on the same night that the crime was committed, Oris and Minnie May were driven to Massachusetts Avenue Depot, where Minnie took a train to Flora. Flora is the town where the family now lives. The Mabbitt family. When the body was discovered, two women from the hotel where Minnie had checked in as Mrs. Minnie Jones were able to identify the baby as Merle and the baby's mother as Mrs. Jones, who we now know is Minnie Mae Mabbitt. On December 1st of 1890, with the arrest warrant in hand, police go to Flora, but Minnie's not there. She had actually fled before she was caught. But she was soon found at her sister's house some miles from Flora and promptly arrested. So at her trial, Sergeant Laporte, who arrested Minnie, seemed to have a real soft spot for her. And he even told her not to say anything during questioning that would incriminate herself. And he made sure that she had a lawyer before speaking to the coroner. Interesting, because, you know, he's a cop, right? He's the sergeant. And the sergeant isn't normally, the investigating officer isn't normally going to offer assistance to a suspect, particularly a suspect of murder, right? So maybe he felt sorry for her because she was just a young 17-year-old kid. All right. Uh, Even reported that during testifying at the trial, Sergeant Laporte's eyes filled with tears. To me, this is kind of sweet. It seems like he felt bad for the situation that Minnie was in and, you know, not for the murder, of course. So what did Minnie have to say? So Minnie actually did talk to the coroner and confesses to having been Minnie May 
pardon me, Mrs. Minnie Jones, and having checked into the hotel as such. She says that she believed that her baby was going to be taken to an orphanage or left on a doorstep. She says that she and her brothers drove near Eagle Creek and her brother Mott got out with the baby and she and Oris drove off. She says when they got back, Mott was waiting without the baby and the trio returned to the city. Minnie told the coroner that neither brother told her that her baby was dead, but that she just knew it. She just knew that the baby was dead. She said that Mott had never said anything to her prior to their going to this hotel, or even hinted to her that he was going to kill the baby. And she says that she did not want her baby to be killed. But she says that her brother brothers probably decided not to leave Merle at an orphanage because they were fearful her secret wouldn't be kept and she would be ruined. Now, this is speaks to the times, right? Because at this time, 1890s, 1890, in um, the United States and in a, you know, conservative state like Indiana, particularly, a unmarried pregnant girl would have been indeed ruined. She would have been ostracized from society. Her family probably would have kicked her out, most likely um, disowned her, disinherited her. She would not have been someone who would likely have been married in the future. She would have been a scarlet woman, basically. Um, So when you really, really think about it, she did not have a lot of choices in this. Now, please, don't get me wrong. I am not condoning the murder of an infant. And I don't know, and probably none of us will ever know, if Minnie knew or didn't know what was going to happen to her baby. But I do feel some sort of way about the choice that was not given to her. So, you know, I, I, I do feel for her. I feel for the child, Minnie May Mabbitt. I don't feel for Oris and Mont, who were clearly older than her and adults and should have done better in the situation. I do believe they knew what they were going to do. And I do believe that they murdered the baby. I don't know about Minnie. So, okay. Um, So Minnie Mabbitt is found innocent. She is acquitted on March 2nd of 1891. And she is able to go on with her life. Now, Mont goes to trial. Minnie Mabbitt attends the trial. She sits next to her brother. And um, she's described as beautiful in a fine new blue silk dress. And occasionally weeping next to her brother as the trial goes on. Minnie, 
many, many articles from the time criticized the women who came to watch the trial. And it was a very popular, um, well-attended trial. People were outside even. And these articles would admonish the women for not being home, taking care of their husbands and their children, and instead attending murder trials. Oh, my word. So, you know, again, that speaks to the role that women played during this time. And the idea that their role was to be caregivers and not to be doing things outside of that. So, you know, think on that as we're moving forward. So, okay. Now, the other brother, Oris, testified at Mont's trial that the trio, he and his brother and Minnie Mae, never intended to kill the baby. He says that they had all agreed to leave the baby at a doorstep of some farmer's house and that Mont was elected to be the one to do it. And that's what he was doing when they dropped him at Eagle Creek. His parents, so Luella's parents, remember William? They also took the stand and they bemoaned the family's misfortune. Again, that tragedy follows this family, mentioning the murder of Luella. And reportedly this garnered a lot of sympathy from the crowd, from the court, from the jury, and Mont Mabbitt, Montezuma Mabbitt, was fucking acquitted. He was acquitted. And Oris, he was released from jail and received no punishment for his involvement in the murder of this baby. He didn't even go to trial. He was just let go. This, to me, is outrageous. It's a travesty. I think Mont and Oris were 100% guilty of murdering this baby. And maybe their um, intent was to help their sister. But even so, you you don't just kill a baby, right? (laughs) So, all right. But they did, and they got away with it. So, you know, it's interesting. I I would love to hear what you think about this. Should they have been acquitted? Should Minnie have been acquitted? Did Amor Green kill Luella? Hmm. Was this family just unlucky? Did a dark cloud indeed hang over this family? Well, let me leave you with one more incident. In May of 1890, the same year that little baby Merle was found dead, another young Mabbitt girl met an untimely death. 16-year-old Carrie Mabbitt, cousin to Luella and Minnie, was found dead in the barn at her father's home. Her head was fastened in a halter, which had been hanging on a beam. Now, a halter... I'm wondering if this means like a horse halter. I couldn't really, I'm assuming that's what it means. Um, Very odd. 
The death was ruled an accident. It was surmised that she had fainted and falling with the halter around her neck was strangled to death accidentally. This to me is crazy, outrageous, just crazy. Um, why would she have the halter around her neck? That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, doesn't make any sense to me. She had gone out to the barn reportedly to take care of some chickens and was found a little while later by her brother. Um, some reports say that she was pregnant at the time. So was this another one of those, you know, unmarried and pregnant women, um, you know, didn't want to ruin her reputation, so better off dead. I don't know. What do you think, curious listener? I don't know. Um, and as far as Amer Green, well, in 1898, that tree that he was hung from blew to the ground. But he's still said to haunt the area. And sightings of Luella continued for many years ghost sightings, and otherwise. So that is the story of the malevolent, the unlucky, the murderous Mabbitt family. Thank you for listening, Curious Listener. Please follow us on Twitter, CF Killer. <coughs> Pardon my dog. <laughs> Um, please email me at cornfedkillerpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on TikTok and Instagram at cornfedkillerpodcast. Um, I will post some photos as always on the Instagram that you can see of poor Amor Green and the Mabbitt family. Until next time, curious listener. <laughs>